you know, what we are doing. I think one of the things I'm appreciating just personally and in the work and systemically is our need for connection and that the dominant narratives are ones that we have to wrestle ourselves from that say individualism, that say you make it on your own, would say, you know, you're weak if you need people. Like that is a particular ideology and set of narratives that we have taken to the extreme and have done their work and it's time for them to go. We actually need more of the we, more of the interdependence, more of the communal support systems to make things happen. How do you influence popular culture in ways that elevate Black humanity? How do you build the skill, power, and wealth of Black creatives? My name is Gibran Rivera. I am a teacher and facilitator, and this is my podcast. Here, I am inviting you into a conversation with remarkable leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. In this episode, I want you to meet my friend and colleague, Melinda Weeks. She's the founder and CEO of Beautiful Ventures. She's a minister, facilitator, consultant, and a visionary social change architect. Ours is a joyful and inspiring conversation. And I cannot wait for you to get to know her. Melinda Weeks. My sister, so good to be in conversation with you. Thank you for saying yes. How are you doing? What a pleasure. I am so delighted to be here with you. It's been too long, and it's great to be reconnected. So thank you for the invitation, Lebron. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't wait for our listeners to get to know you better. Uh, I was thinking, when did we meet? I mean, it must have been... What, did you come to the Interaction Institute in 2007? Is yeah. that when you came? That's when I came. That's when I, I think, first started to work full-time. So uh, I probably was around the edges around 2006, but 2007 is probably when we actually met. And so that would be, what, 13 years now? 13 years. Yeah. Amazing. I I, I do want to touch a little bit on that experience and that Mm -hmm. beautiful work. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll we'll get into who you are and what you do. But I've been like, I like to start the podcast by asking my guests, a question about a belief that they once held to be the truth, you know, that they have changed their mind about. And, and the reason for that is, I think we live in a culture where people are only doubling down on whatever ideas they have, right? And changing your mind seems to be impossible or like a violation of the <laughs> tribe that you're a part of. And I just yeah. want to, I like to open up with, the, with like, all of us get where we are by changing our mind, usually about something mm-hmm. that we've held passionately. I, I mean, I could yeah. really have a long list. Uh-huh. I'm wondering if you have a good one. Jibran, you are holding no punches. We are just going to the root. That's right. And pulling it up and swinging it around. <laughs> yes. And eating it and throwing it back out. <laughs> That's what, uh, we're doing. <laughs> what a lovely, what a juicy question. So uh, thank you for a little bit of time to think about that. And wow, I mean, this is the one that comes to mind for me. Um, so don't tell anybody. Um, but I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm clergy, Amen. I love the Lord. 
um, you know, follower of the way of Jesus. Um, and one of the beliefs, one of the, in the last several years, even after seminary, um, I've been really uh, um, just enlivened by another way to think about why Jesus came. Mm. So this, the, the substitutionary atonement theory is kind of, has gotten the dominant view of Christianity, of the reason why Jesus came was to die for our sins, to be, to stand in an atonement, to pay the price for the sin of the world. And so Jesus took that on and paid it for us. And therefore we can have a relationship with God through Jesus. Um, and that's just the way I was taught. The, the, and it's the dominant view of, of Western Christianity after probably 11th century. But um, I've been uh, uh, introduced to other ways that Christians used to understand and, and appreciate the reason why Jesus came, which was not for this transactional piece of like, I need to take this on, take care of this problem. Um, and then, and you can, and like, you know, it's a problem. It has to be, punishment has to be paid. And therefore we can have a relationship with, with God. That's a view. But another view that Christians have held, um, a minority view, is that the reason why Jesus came was out of a pattern of wanting to be in solidarity with us. Wow. So even the incarnation, as we come up, you know, upon the holidays of Christmas, the whole fact that, that God became flesh with us mm was out of a love ethic. The whole reason for the cross was to be with us in our suffering, right? And to be in solidarity with the, 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 the thief on the cross, right? And the, those who are persecuted by the state. And that that is the driving for God so loved the world that God gave God's self in solidarity with us. And so that gives way for more of a continual transformational understanding of God, as I am the beloved of God, not the object of uh, God's uh, condemnation that has something wrong with me, but it's because God, I am God's beloved that God wants to be connected and reconnected and be in solidarity with me. Blew my mind. I got goosebumps all over. Oh my gosh. I knew that I wanted to get into faith with you today. I didn't know that we were going to just start there. Uh, I want to let our listeners know that uh, we're going to talk beautiful ventures. We're going to yeah. talk facilitation. We're going to yeah. talk. But Absolutely. I want to get into this because you brought it. And, uh, and it's Absolutely. here right you now. Asked. Yes. <laughs> My truth. Yeah. I, I like it so much. As, as yeah. you know, I don't know mm -hmm. if all of our listeners know. Sure. Yeah. I grew up in a very powerful Christian community. In fact, yeah. It might be more familiar and easier to understand now mm -hmm. because I grew up in a community that was structured mm -hmm. and practiced very much like that of the new Supreme Court Justice of the United States. Yes, yes. The kind yes. of, you Absolutely. know, yes. I grew up in the similar, yes. like charismatic, Catholic, yeah, like an evangelical kind yes. of tinge, but Catholic yes. and like yes. very intense communal. Yes. And experience all the all the faults of that but also all the all the beauty and goodness of that mm -hmm. so so i can mm -hmm. get into jesus with absolutely. you absolutely absolutely and my yeah. my son's middle name his first name is darshan which is a sanskrit word but his middle name is tomas 
-hmm. And it was a way to honor his grandfather on his mother's side, whose name was Tom. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I remember when he was born, I found, uh, I think it was a Caravaggio painting of, of Thomas, mm -hmm. the so-called doubting Thomas putting his okay. finger on the wound. Mm -hmm. And my interpretation of the painting mm -hmm. and of that moment was similar to yours. It was like, mm -hmm. why we give this guy a bad rep? You, you know, yeah. what if, what if, what he longed, it wasn't doubt, but what he longed to do is what we should long to do, which mm -hmm. is to touch the living flesh mm -hmm. of the Christ, because that is the miracle, right? That incarnation, yeah. that becoming like us. Yeah, yeah. So, so rather than see it as a doubt, right? we could see it as a deeper yearning and a, yeah. and a fuller understanding Absolutely. of some of what you just spoke. So when you Absolutely. said that, that just yeah. that light descended upon me and I just... Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and that's part of like my own, like since we've not worked together, like in, in, in the same institution over these last seven years with my own theology really being influenced by contemplative Christianity and contemplative and, and, the, and the Christian roots of contemplative you know, contemplation and meditation um, as central pra practice, you know, Christian practice around that. And with that, the ways in which um, a lot of, you know, Western Christianity, you know, has emphasized the belief, the dogma, what do you believe? Mm -hmm. and, and don't lean into the practice part of it, whereas the practice, the embodiment. Yes. Right. That 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 Thomas impulse, if you will, mm -hmm. to want to to touch um, and to and to kind of reconnect with the the ways in which God wanted to touch us and to be embodied, you know, in in our flesh is also where Christ is. And that mm -hmm. is the Christ. Right. The Christ, Christ is in every in everything um, where spirit meets flesh, where materiality meets sp spirituality. That is where we find God, which is in everything. And we are part of all of those things. Um, uh, the earth, you know, each other, you know, nature, you know, even physical things. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the bombshell. Don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> don't tell anybody. But yeah, but, but it really has exploded. And, 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 and the part of it, and this may be a, a segue to the work part, what I've appreciated about contemplative theology and, and reading the scriptures anew and a lot of the work of um, Richard Rohr, Barbara um, Holmes, and other kind of Christian contemplative thinkers um, is, is that it gave language and gave theology to what my, prax my practice, mm -hmm. my practice in justice, my practice in the movement, my practice in holding space for people and in, 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 in multi- faith, multicultural, multiracial spaces, like that's, I knew where God, God was there as Amen. well. Amen. But to your point, I couldn't experience that freedom, that inclusion, that um, liberation in some of these, in my Christian communities yeah. Yeah. who were a, a bit just, you know, more respectability, more uh, theology that is exclusive and that kind of stuff. And so the beauty of 
a lot of what uh, spirit God has done with and through me and in me has been a cohering of all of that. So beautiful. <laughs> the theology and the methodology and, and the liberation and it all is cohering together um, in, in, one, in one space. And that is the work. That is the work. That makes me that makes me really happy uh, to hear the resonance is is very deep. Mm-hmm. A lot of and and, and we'll, I think we we will get into the work next, but it's it's hard to let go of this one mm-hmm. um, because it's it's a place where you and I have always mm-hmm. met. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, part of what I'm teaching and bringing to my work now is this idea that. When modernity came, right, the European Enlightenment Project, mm-hmm. actually what John Powell calls the European Enlightenment Project of the isolated self, but mm-hmm. we, we mm-hmm. but but what it did, what modernity did is, mm-hmm. is it took myth, and it made it one of two things. It made it either a fundamentalist truth. Mm-hmm. No, the world was created in literally seven days, mm-hmm. 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 or a scientific lie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and as as if we didn't understand, as if our earlier humans did not have the sophistication to understand mm-hmm. mythical realms as mm-hmm. as other realms of truth that mm-hmm. did not have to be literal, mm-hmm. nor did it have to be scientific, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we robbed ourselves mm-hmm. of of the main meaning making structures or of of the ways in which we structure belonging and meaning as a people forever you know yeah. before right writing yeah. before the internet we had sure. these stories the <laughs> <laughs> we, we had to tell we used to sing and we Absolutely. used to pray and it was our way of our ancestors yeah. saying this is what you all got to remember That's you know right. things have gotten hard before that's the right. Apocalypse has been through here before already. Yeah. And yeah. this is how we made it through. Yeah. By neglecting those stories and instead and instead either turning fundamentalists and closing down or turning like hyper scientific and denying. Or I think the other thing people do is they turn ideological and they mm-hmm. try to get meaning mm-hmm. and belonging from ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. which is which is dry. It's, 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 and, and so, mm-hmm. whether our listeners right now are resonate with a, a Christian or not, I think mm-hmm. anything that looks at these ancestral stories that have moved, yeah, our people through through the generations and, and help us take them, like seize them, and turn them into stories of freedom. Yeah. You know, to engage them as the store, as the ancestral stories, and 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 heartbringers of wisdom that they yeah. are, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. when they bring us, like you said, right here mm-hmm. to the body and mm-hmm. to the quest for justice. That's mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a whole other game. That's mm-hmm. a whole other game, and I'm glad mm-hmm. you're playing it. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to play. I'm trying to be on the court. Just trying to be on the court with all the other players. I for love, sure, I love so it. Tell me more about beautiful it. ventures. Uh, to- yeah, sure. Well, golly, uh, and there's a connection. Um, beautiful ventures was birthed out of the work that you know you, you and I have been doing, sometimes together, sometimes apart, always you know in resonance, um, going around the country 
teaching people about how do you change systems and structures and helping change agents build capacity for that. Um, this, I loved it the most when I was working with artists and, and creatives. Um, but part of that work was also supporting others in making those kind of structural big changes, but appreciating that the highest leverage ways to actually shift systems is in the realm of story, of myth of image, of narrative. And so, um, and so I began to, to see that, oh my goodness, artists, creatives actually have a special role in this, in this project, in this work of actually shifting systems. And particularly when you and I were working together more, and this is just like, you know, seven years ago or so, there was a, an, again, this either or, either you're serious, you're an activist, you're serious with your analysis, and this is the way the campaigns work to change the systems. And then you got the art, arts, artists and creative folks out there who are doing their own thing. And so, and appreciating as practitioners that there's a both and about it, that really some of this creative thinking, this design thinking, this prototyping, this more holistic ways of appreciating what is happening in and through systems was needed to support some of these, you know, advocate folks. Um, and then, you know, and similarly, the, the, the artists, you know, wanted a bit more structure to help bring something of it. But I just saw that art culture is, they actually have an advantage, I think, in, in, in shifting these systems because of the ways that they show up with an appreciation of the things that um, our systems are built on, which are these stories that we believe about the way the world is. So that coupled with, um, in particular, the first, um, uh, well, at the beginning of the, of the, of the two, 2000s with Arab Spring, with Occupy Wall Street, and of course, Black Lives Matter, um, take, systems taking on big structural change, and particularly with Black Lives Matter, I was... Uh, uh, um, provoked, challenged, uh, inspired to take on something big as well. I mean, they were unapologetic um, about it. And so I was really wanting to also give a space for my own voice and my own leadership and my own vision about what it would take to actually make some systemic change on behalf of Black people in particular and to be unapologetic about that. So Beautiful Ventures came out of all of that, the work we were doing with Campaign for Black Male Achievement and others, right? All of that kind of began to stew in me, um, provoked by our colleagues and comrades and the Movement for Black Lives and, and, and seeing that there was a lot of power that we had to actually shift the system. So Beautiful Ventures is a creative social enterprise, and our mission is to influence popular culture, disrupt anti-Blackness, and elevate perceptions of Black humanity. And we do that by supporting narrative, narrative change, but narrative, it comes from stories, right? So yes. like stars in the sky that are related and become a constellation, related stories become those narratives right, that uphold the way that we think that the world is, and how can you change the narrative unless you have stories that instead of are anti-Black but affirm Black humanity, and how do you get those stories but you support those storytellers? So we are focused on, in particular, building 
um, the entrepreneurial skill, narrative power, and generational wealth for Black story-driven creatives and their communities. Wow. Wow. That is, that is amazing. That's exactly the word. I think it was you, Melinda, that introduced me to the term griot. Oh, okay. Right? I mean, okay. so, so there's some, and maybe we can, yeah. we can, because you, you can, sure. it's, in some ways you're like Certainly. picking up on that tradition, right? Absolutely. 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 It, the, these are the griots. These are the storytellers. These are the keepers of the memories, keepers of the ways and the, and the, and the ways of cultural transmission, the ways in which we understand who we are in the world of identity, of meaning making, um, of carrying traditions, but yes, absolutely. And, and just to, and it's, it's an empowerment project. It's a, it's supposed to be like a love story uh, of liberation saying that, wait a minute, there is no American culture without black culture. Exactly. There is, <laughs> there just isn't. Um, there is, and, and you know, there's, there's so much research about it. Um, Nielsen does re research on it with this halo effect that black, even black consumers have about what we say is cool is cool for everybody and creates these trends and these market trends. And of course we know, unfortunately, American until maybe now, but you know, our country also moves global markets just in terms of what the American brand is of anything. So if you think of black creatives as kind of a, as the epicenter of being able to shift and move markets, the idea is that storytellers and story lovers, right? The audiences and the storytellers themselves, not just black folks, but all the, of those who are in line with, you know, in these values of wanting to shift this narrative, we could on purpose, we could on purpose intend and work towards making anti-blackness passe. That is so good. That, yeah. is, that, that seems like the exact point of intervention, the yeah. exact point of intervention. Yeah. Uh, so much there. Can I say one more thing about please, that? Please, please, please. This is to say that this is not anything new. Mm -hmm. We are so inspired by our own ancestors during the Harlem Renaissance, mm -hmm. which literally a hundred years ago, if you think about the Harlem Renaissance in the 20s up to 27, 20, 1929, was a time when Black creatives living in community in Harlem, their cultural production shifted the way Black people were seen at the turn of the 20th century, right? So, you know, Langston Hughes or Neil Hurston, County Cullen, E.B., you know, W.E.B. Du Bois, it was, it was art, it was literary, it was creative, it was theater, it was music, it was Duke Ellington. But they did this out without the shackle of the white gaze, and it, it cumulatively, it had that effect and impact, I would say, also coming out of the pandemic of 1918 and also was precipitated by this great migration of Black people fleeing places like where I am now in Georgia and the South, across the South, to go to places like out West, Midwest, Chicago, found themselves in San Francisco and in places like my hometown of Harlem, New York City, in the same ways that we find ourselves um, meeting racial terror today, right? With the reckoning and the litany, unfortunately, of all these um, killings of black bodies by the state and vigilante. So the, the, the mirroring um, 
is mm-hmm. it also speaks to, I think, what the ancestors have left us to say, we did this in an emergent way. How about y'all do it on purpose? And you do it with all of the things that we left you that, that can make it even more possible for you to decide that we're going ne- to flex our narrative power, our spiritual power, our cultural power, our economic power, and, and create a tipping point where it's just not cool to be anti-Black in popular culture and popular discourse. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I, I want to definitely hear more about the, the sure. steps that you take to do that. Sure, sure, sure. But, I, you know, the work of Professor Sarah Lewis hmm. at Harvard comes up. And okay. she, she starts, she does all kinds of amazing things. She's got this vision and justice curriculum, but she's looked a lot at the work of the, the image in culture, right? Mm. And she observed that Frederick Douglass mm. was the most photographed person of his time. Yes. Okay? Not the most photographed Black person. Right, 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 right. And, and so there was something that he understood yes. right, about yeah. the power of that nascent technology, artistic yeah. technology, and the image. And we all, when we think of Frederick Douglass, we always say dignity, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see, That's we, right. you have a powerful right. image That's in right. your consciousness. That's right. right? <laughs> so this idea, right, yeah, yeah. That, that, mm-hmm. you, that, that there is an, 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 a cultural yeah. intervention, right. Right? right, that is happening in parallel. Right. To the political activism, because he was certainly politically active, but that deep understanding is there even from then. Yeah. Even from then. So it it merits merits our attention. Yeah. And so what do you do? What do you do with these folk? How do you you support (laughs) them? How do you bring them together? So we have uh, kind of three prongs. One is a network. a a network, three core services. One is to build a network of storytellers and story lovers. So you don't have to be black to be part of the network. You don't have to be a creative to be a part of the network, but you do have to be down with our values, right? So it's a values driven network of storytellers and story lovers. Go to our website, beautifulventures.com, see our six values. Um, And that's the movement. That's my my movement uh, uh, inheritance in terms of like, we need to create a consciousness community, folks who are like, we are, together and connected around this because when we are in relationship in authentic deep trusting relationships then anything i have you have Mm -hmm. right so bringing again this network theory building a network of storytellers and story lovers um the second piece is uh of that uh, enterprise programs that help to support creatives who want to become what we call creative social entrepreneurs Right, where they build creative businesses with the, where the economic model is about um, intellectual property, where their stories can have um, a supported platform, which is the business that is sustainable to get out these Black humanity affirming stories. So we have stuff for folks who are just thinking about it. Like, for instance, we, um, we offered a, uh, a negotiation skills training two weeks ago with one of our partners, Habitus Incorporated. Okay. For and it was for creatives, community organizers, and entrepreneurs, right? Um, people who, you know, I, I went to law school and I took some courses in negotiation, but the hard skills of like, how do I actually get my work in the marketplace? We, we all can use some more of that. Um, and so we're actually resource raising right now for, a, for um, an initiative to help with build that up more for, for fellows 
for people who are seasoned creatives, who creatively are doing well. They may have won awards. They may be an independent producer. They may have done, you know, a Sundance thing. Uh, again, a Sundance recognition or have just been in the game and are doing their thing. But in terms of being business people, folks who also want to build businesses um, that create wealth, not just for them, but community wealth uh, and generational wealth and create jobs. And so that's helping with the business side of what it means to build a creative business that is not just about wealth and businesses for you, but for the community and for generations is what the second piece of our, our module is. And the third piece is to create a, a, a creative venture fund where both traditional and non-traditional investors, meaning people who have that $250,000 or above that you need to qualify to invest in businesses, but people who don't <clears throat> also can invest in kind of community wealth building um, vehicles to support those businesses. And so, so we're building it, we say we're building it, we're cultivating an ecosystem um, for the next Harlem Renaissance. Um, but very wow. practically speaking, you know, we have all kinds of programs and we have a writer's group um, that, that folks from the, you know, we had a, a writer's group um, last fall, the Baldwin Morrison writer's group, people online across the country, but also we had a sister in, from Nairobi join and someone else in Jamaica. So it's diasporic in nature um, and just supporting creatives who want to build and giving particularly writers because writers don't get the love. But writers, we don't have narratives. We don't have stories unless we support those writers. Um, and so, you know, lots of programming. We're really trying to build up our, um, our seed capital and our programming so that we can uh, devote ourselves more to that. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing that. But, of course, I have, a, <laughs> I have a, a, a consulting practice as well. But we're really looking for We're partnering with a lot of great folks and looking forward to really um, building up what we need to do even more of it in, in the coming uh, year. Uh, that is so bold and inspiring and exciting. Yeah. I'm, Thank I'm, you. I'm all about it. I'm really, yes. really feeling that. Yes. Really. Thank you. And I, I want to get into, I want to ask you something. I've got two questions. I want to ask sure. about the diasporic nature, but I also want to yes. ask about narrative here, for example, because I really appreciate, or at least what I'm hearing, how I'm understanding is, mm -hmm. you know, a story that makes anti-Blackness impossible, which I think mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. perfect. Mm -hmm. And part of what's coming to my mind is, and I, I wonder if you've observed this pattern. It's been around for a long time, but it's almost like the story that we as people of color tell ourselves or the ones that we feel we need to tell majority culture mm -hmm. that are stories that always highlight our oppressions, right? So, you know, I, I saw a, a tweet from somebody once that was like reading college admission essays and they're like, why is it like poverty porn? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so you, en you enter some of these the spaces yeah. and it feels like what you leverage is your victimhood, right? This, it's all, it almost gets you yeah. power in, in yeah. a certain way, right? By, and, and there's something there yeah. that I've not, I think I certainly have been a part of that at other stages in my life, mm -hmm. but there's something there that I'm, that I'm uneasy with. And I wonder, yeah. um, 
how a narrative project like yours yeah. tends to that part. That's wonderful, Gibran. Thank you so much. I mean, there's so much in that. I think part of that is we have our own internalized anti-Blackness to contend with, which is why it's so important to create those those um, circles that you <laughs> that you facilitate and to create a space like A Beautiful Venture so that we can actually eke out the space so we can be the subject, so we can heal on our own terms. And to, there's a lot to, to unpack and to interrogate that white supremacy has done to us inside of ourselves. So, so I think some of that is how we see ourselves, but I think more than that, it is where the appetite is. So I don't know if you, uh, Regine Michelle Jean-Charles is a professor, um, as a professor of French and Africana studies. Um, she's up there in Boston. She wrote this piece just recently about, back to your girl, a Amy Barrett, and how a, nar a narrative piece about how she described her children when she introduced her children. And she has two adopted Haitian children. And she made note of like how she described her white ch children. Like, oh, and Johnny is going to go on to be a writer. And, you know, Susie, you know, loves her dolls and, who, you know, she'll probably be directing whatever. But then she described her Haitian children, adopted children, from the trauma narrative. Like, he came mm -hmm. to us with hardly any blah, blah, blah. And they're like grown kids. And she, and she could see her children, which I'm sure she loves, but still through this gaze of trauma as defining them and for them to grow up hearing that, oh, my identity is attached to my trauma. Mm -hmm. So there's a way in which the appetite, the demand, the markets that are white supremacy controlled and gays have an appetite to uh, hold, hold us in that space. Right. And so to make it, you, you may play to that. Um, but this is, but this is the, this is the part where we have to be like, oh no, no, no. Okay. So that we change the market. If we can change the market and make hip hop, whatever, make jo jazz, whatever, make all of these other, you know, make t black Twitter, whatever, we can control markets for these other projects. We could do it on purpose and be like, oh no, no, that's not cool anymore. Which is not to say that we, that every, every story is howdy, howdy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, but but it is it is part of this um, liberation work that is about independence from the white gaze. Mm -hmm. And so one of the one of the things as we are look as we are re mobilizing resources, even from major media partners in this time of reckoning, who are throwing away all kinds of money for stuff because of the reckoning, we are boldly saying that um, uh, diversity initiatives, for example, do not repair the narrative harm. That's right. What repairs the narrative harm is, is for the, the, our stories on our own terms to penetrate the marketplace. And that's what happens when you see um, people with the creative powers to do that. That's the beauty of an Ava, the beauty of an Issa, the beauty of um, even a Stevie Wonder. I heard a story about how he negotiated early on with Barry Gordy that he was going to have control over his publishing and not even have to answer to a Barry Gordy, a black man institution so that he could write what, you know, and then he turned around and he wrote songs of the key of life. There's a way in which you need that creative independence, but you also need the business independence so yes. that you're not subject to the white gaze and the gatekeepers 
to literally say yes or no, this will not go. That's right. So that's that's kind of how we're trying to make this intervention by saying that our narrative shifting has is 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 interlocked with our abilities to really be free. That's what we see in the Black Arts Movement, right? That's what we mm-hmm. see um, in the in in so many of you know apartheid. It, it's it's inextricably linked, and we're gonna see more of these Black humanity affirming our full humanity. Yeah. You know, things come out when when we kind of are un- untethered, <laughs> yeah. right? Untethered to some of these structures that are never designed for our our hum- humanization and freedom anyway. That's so beautiful and exciting. I uh, what's coming to my mind is how in these times, you know, like like you looking at networks for a long time and and, and the shift from what you might call a broadcast culture to a peer-to-peer culture, right? And so when you and I were coming up, there was a limited number of TV channels, a limited number of radio stations, a limited amount of space in the big box store. And so the the market ran on the thing that most people, like the money was made on the 20% that 80% of people liked, right? And so that's that's how you get, you ended up with massive blockbusters or mm-hmm. i mean I, he's become more controversial these days or like a michael jackson right it had to be somebody that could appeal mm-hmm. the mass market because the channel of distribution was so limited mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right but now what yeah. we have is the spirit on pr markets right and and right. and so I, i've been really taken by the concept, I, got, I learned it from Seth Golden of smallest viable audience, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where the artist or the person that's making the offering, you're no longer mm-hmm. trying to make your product that appeals to the mass. Yeah. Actually finding the people that you're absolutely going to delight, right? Mm-hmm. By being very specific in the thing that you're offering, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there has to be a viability, but it's the smallest viable audience, right? Yeah. Which then actually really liberates you. Yeah. Creates something beautiful that the people that you delight will then be the ones to spread. Yeah. Right? And I, so I, I think what you're talking about really goes well with this yeah. like shift yeah. in how we consume media uh, yeah. these days, right? Or, or anything yeah. that we want, right? We get, we get it more and more niche. I mean, we are on Instagram these days. And so you get the socks that, that are just for you, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. yeah but, but just as an example. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. And the, that's the, you know, the particular becomes the universal, you that's know. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and, and it's interesting because, um, you know, I've been prototyping and incubating uh, beautiful ventures since and actively since I since 2016 um, and it's and it is very particular and when I first did I did a um, I did a, I don't know if you remember I did a social venture charrette in in Harlem in 2016 um, talking about anti-blackness and how and, and the, em, the siblings this. of what will become beautiful venture nobody was talking about anti-blackness in 2016. Uh, we finally we launched, you know, an incubated prototype, did stuff, launched in 2019, 
last Juneteenth um, to the world. Who knew a year later, the whole globe and the, all of the country would be focused on anti-Black racism in particular. Amazing. In particular. And so that's kind of an example of it bearing out. It's like, be, speak your particularity, have your, your vision cultivated, curated, understand it, have a point of view yeah. and wait for it to resonate, you know, or don't wait for, but knowing, believing that it will resonate building it because people are resonating and, and needing for it, but people that you can see that maybe other people can't see. Right. Uh, and like, lo, lo and behold, like literally I've done the research, six out of seven continents, six out of seven continents across the globe had, had people out there marching in defense of black lives, villages, <laughs> hamlets, cities across the globe in defense of black lives. Really? Like, okay. And so that's crying out for narrative change. That's what that is. Yes. Narrative change. Like, no, we know Black Lives Matter. Stop playing with us. Let these structures who do not believe what we know, y'all need to fall and let others rise. That's right. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I can't wait to get more more into this with you as as we keep dreaming together. Uh, I want to also bring in the diaspora part. Yes. You know, yes. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm from the Caribbean originally. I'm from Puerto absolutely, Rico. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a fan of a, of a theory or, or a, an assessment that says the Caribbean is more than that basin. It's actually a geography, a, a psychic geography that, that you could start in Salvador, in Bahia, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the blackest city mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. New World, right? Mm-hmm. Or the mm-hmm. so-called New World. And mm-hmm. ends in New Orleans. Okay. Right. Okay. Sure. And so you have this, this, and and there's something that happens there. It's like the, I call it the heart of Africa outside of mm-hmm. Africa. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I often say, you know, yeah. Puerto Rico is an Afro-Latin country mm-hmm. that it really is a hundred miles long by thirty-five. Right. Like it's a hundred by thirty-five. That's it's a tiny. But if you think about the cultural footprint, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And we're not even, we haven't even said Cuba or Jamaica yet, so right? But like, right. just like Puerto Rico alone, the cultural footprint says so much about the way that African cultural spirit, right? Yeah. Just, just has this international reverberation, mm-hmm. right? And so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny because it was actually, I went to Puerto Rico the Friday after the Trump election, right? And uh, oh, wow. it was Tuesday, and, and I just had to oh, go wow. anyway, mm-hmm. which is really powerful for me because I could talk to my grandfather who, who passed this year, mm-hmm. um, and he could give me perspective, right? Because he's been through the Second War and through the Depression. His children went through Vietnam. He's like, calm down. You know, <laughs> which is really helpful to hear from your elder. Yeah. I could also dump myself in the Caribbean Ocean and just kind of cleanse myself. Well, didn't right? that help a little bit too? Yeah, it helped a whole lot. I know that's exactly. Right. Exactly. I know that's right. We're going to get to that too. <laughs> but, but it was the, in that trip that I turned on the radio and I started to listen to reggaeton again. And I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped. <laughs> you know, I, it has not, just the other. For years, you haven't stopped. Yeah, I haven't. Even yesterday, <laughs> I was facilitating, and that's what we did. We danced like a ton together. Yeah. But that's, a, you know, that is an Afrobeat, right? That's taking the world by storm. There's just 
which I guess is my other way of saying between the diaspora, between yeah. black people here, it's so true. culture, music, story, yes. Yes. It, it's, you, your gaze is where it needs to be. And I'm just excited yeah. to be in conversation with you around oh, it. Oh man, me too. And let's continue to build around that. I mean, I'm literally <laughs> speaking about healing and the waters and the ocean, you know, all of that so much needed the, the healing of it we 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 whisked away twice this summer during the pandemic to to hilton head in south carolina getting that to that atlantic ocean but actually last i guess it was last april or so we went to puerto rico nice uh, during the you know the bitter you know it's it still raw during that time yeah. and uh it was just you know just so healing and i had been to puerto rico before but not in a long time and a dear friend of, of ours is the head of um, economic development in Puerto Rico. Um, uh, They're just, you know, and so, and then some other friends who have since like gone to live there and just um, feeling, feeling a sense of like a home. I mean, I grew up in New York. I grew up in the Bronx. So it's right. just like, yeah, these are my people. What's up? You know? Um, but right now just even kind of really like, hmm, looking at, do we go to Puerto Rico? Jamaica? I'm looking places to do our, our, our long distance working, you know? That's beautiful. That's um, excellent. And then, you know, thinking Caribbean and, and exactly. all of that, because it is, there is healing there. I spoke to a, a, a brother last week who's in the Gullah Geechee. He's doing a do- oh. documentary about the Gullah Geechee Islands, right? That same, right? That same ways in which we have retained our Africanisms and created you know, ways of being in new, in, in, in other lands, but still there's this connective tissue that still is healing and powerful and transformational for us. That's so beautiful. So, just trying to be intentional about connecting that and getting more connected to it. it even as I am a daughter of the Caribbean as well. My, my dad's people are from Montserrat. That's right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. I, I, I spent some time with the Gullah Geechee people a couple of years back. and. I was just, yeah, I was moved to the core, yeah. moved to the core. What it's a beautiful culture. Powerful, absolutely. Really absolutely. potent. Um, Melinda, it might feel like a left turn, but, you know, a lot of people that listen to this podcast know that I'm a facilitator. They know me through facilitation work. And I know that you are too. And I would, I have to at least ask you about, sure. about this beautiful craft that we share uh, mm. just I, mean, I think my question is like what have you learned what what, is, what are the what how has your practice changed or what have you learned you know and i'll say this while you think i'll say and this is a net positive i am in more and more spaces where people introduce themselves as facilitators and and i think that's a very very good thing because it means that people understand that the only way forward is through collaboration, and that collaboration is best when it's facilitated. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I also think that the negative there is, you know, you can just say that you are, right? And so there is a lot of uh-huh. subpar facilitation, to be uh-huh. honest. And I'm uh-huh. not trying to hate on nobody. Or, but, you know, there is really, uh-huh. there's really like an aspiration to facilitate versus uh-huh. versus kind of the, uh-huh. the, the apprenticeship process you know mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. which we learn the 10,000 hours in the room mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. kind of get you a sense of how the energy is moving mm-hmm. and what is possible in any given space and I'm just yeah. 
Sure. Curious as to if there's anything you can share about your thinking about the craft. What are, wow. what are big ahas for you? How much are you doing it these days? Yeah, thank you for that. Oh, this is this is rare space. Thank you, Jibran. This is awesome. Um, <clears throat> well, I do want to start with a note of lament. I mean, I, I just I think I'm still in the midst of kind of just mourning the uh, loss of of in person space, like. And I know I'm, yeah, I'm being adaptive and all the things, but I really still need to mourn it because especially as people are interested in being in, in actually having more transformative facilitation and to really doing some change in groups. I, I'm saying yes, or want to say yes, but I'm also like saying yes before I realize, Ooh, I, I, not without in person. So I just want to lift up a lament around the Thank loss you. of in person for that. Oh my goodness. So hard. Oh, my goodness. Uh, wow. Um, and I think in just what it, what's coming up for me in terms of facilitation, I do feel, uh, I feel strong and comfortable in that identity, to mm-hmm. your point. Like, it is a thing. And whether or not people know it is a thing, more people are appreciating that it's a thing. And I appreciate this a thing. And I feel like I know I have that mastery. Not that I'm done, the whole point is that I'm continuing to learn. One of the one of the things that has informed my practice more is just the relational component mm-hmm. and ways and methodologies um, to enhance that um, and to and to cultivate that in its own space as a precursor to real transform transformative change. And so um, that's why I'm taking this course with the Circle Way with Quanita uh, uh, Robinson. Nice. Uh, Robert Robertson. That's why I'm studying with relational uprising. Cedar and Lucienne are my teachers and friends about relational culture mm-hmm. and being intentional about those practices, those methodologies that help support groups in their interior life as groups. Yes. Um, is, is my growing edge. And, and what I've been trying to be just more intentional about learning and getting better and more uh, facile with mm-hmm. um, as a holder of of space and 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 yeah, that's having great, a lot right? of respect and awe for that, yeah. and knowing that that's what I want to ac- actually learn and grow more in as a as a facilitator. That is potent. I I'll share a a frame that I've been working with just because both parts of many more than one part of the conversation connect to it. So. Sometimes I'm, in, I'm with a group, right? And we have that kind of, that sense of an emergent we, right? That is, that is greater than the sum of its parts, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and that's when you know you're in that zone. And, mm-hmm. and so the way I explain it to bring our attention to it is, I say there's an objective I, meaning people can objectively agree when they see me that I'm Gibran, right? Like that's, that's just what it is, right? And then there's an objective we, right? Like you and me right now or whatever the group that is gathered in a given space, mm-hmm. that's a we space. We're all together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and people can see it. People can see it from the outside and be like, that's a beautiful ventures convening or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's also a subjective I, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. world of myself inside myself. Some of it I know and you'll never know. Mm-hmm. 
some of it I'll never know. Some of the you'll know better than me because I hide it from myself, but everybody around me can see it, right? Like this, the subjective eye. Yeah. But, but there's more room for debate, right? Like mm-hmm. an ex of mine can be like, that guy is horrible. Mm-hmm. And a great friend of mine can be like, no, that guy is great or whatever. Like it's, it's, it's subjective. Yeah. It's supposed yeah. So similarly, there is a, a subjective we. There's an interior to the we, which is what mm-hmm. you just referred to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where the magic of facilitation is. And to tie it to the other conversation we're yes. having, yes, I see. Also, the space of culture, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Culture is our subjective we. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for most people, culture just happens to us, right? Mm-hmm. It's like conditioned upon us. I'm like, this is what it means to be a guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I walk around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unless the artist, right, the culture maker, or the prophet, right, mm-hmm. or the enlightened political leader who are few, right, those are the people that take on the work of, the, of culture, that, that bring our attention to the interior of the we. And I feel like what you're trying to do is that, and, and I bring it in here because, because we have a culture that has paid a lot of attention to the interior of the eye, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you can talk about my coach, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can talk about my therapist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is all great. You can yeah. talk about, you know, people start conversations like, you know, I feel or mm-hmm. what I need is, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like so much of what you're doing is bringing our gaze to what is inside mm-hmm. of the we mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's momentous. Mm-hmm. It's and, what you're, and what you're doing and what we are doing. Yeah. 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 Because, because I, I think um, one of the things I'm appreciating just personally and in the work and systemically is our need for connection and that, and that the dominant narratives are, ones that we have to wrestle ourselves from that say individualism, Mm -hmm. that say you make it on your own, which would say, um, you know, you're weak if you need people. Like that is a particular ideology and set of narratives that have lit, that we have taken to the extreme and have done their work and it's time for them to go. We actually need more of the we more of the interdependence, yes. more of the, um, of, the commu- of the communal support systems to make things happen. And that's exactly, I think, the spirit of, you know, what you're also saying, which is like, we actually have gone to the extreme with this other thing to get our healing, to reach homeostasis, to have some um, cohering of who, of our whole humanity. We actually need to play more with the we and to learn how to do that and to relearn and to remember (laughs) how we did it and and integrate that into our present circumstances because that's how we will survive. It's part of what we actually, how we're actually wired to be in this world, which is in an interdependent kind of way. And so I think it is the work of our times as we sit here, you know, on the cusp of the 21st century in this time of pandemic and change and turning like that's what the pandemic is. We we are all connected. We are Amen. all subject, you know, to to each other. Um, yes. So that that is the work that I am. 
I am en- enthused and, and, you know, excited about and feel drawn to and called to together with you, my dear brother. Yeah, it is, it is, it is enlivening um, to be in conversation with you. It is inspiring. Thank you so much, Melinda. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for saying yes to the interview. Absolutely. Thank you, Gibran. Thank you. Thank you. I, I ask a couple of questions as, as we close the podcast. Okay. Um, and, you know, I ask it as a man that's been, that has been impacted by patriarchy that has They cause harm through patriarchy Mm -hmm. that is involved in a lifetime project of atonement. Mm -hmm. Somebody that's taken up upon myself to to gather men, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and see about us becoming better, about becoming Mm -hmm. conscious in our masculinity. That's a big calling. And so when I'm in conversation with a powerful woman, uh, especially a powerful woman of color, I make it a point to ask, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as, as things like the Me Too movement expose something that, that has been there forever, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing new, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. sort of really forces us to reckon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with the ugliness of it all. Mm-hmm. The question I'd like to ask is, what do you think men should do? What is your advice for men? What, what mm-hmm. should we do wow. as, as we seek mm-hmm. to be better? Wow. Um, thank you for that question. Um, I think uh, I would encourage men to get in touch with your feelings, to heal from your trauma, um, personal trauma, generational trauma, trauma that patriarchy has, has visited upon you, those, those hyper-masculine and you know, things that you've learned and narratives and ways of being that you are harmed by uh, and to heal and to seek that out, um, to, to become acquainted with, with the, the breadth of your humanity. And a lots of times that is connected to being able to be connected to your actual feelings, which itself is a revolutionary project for men. And I think in there you will find more of the healing that will enable you to show up in relationship um less toxic (laughs) more uh loving more forgiving more soft um that is my that is my that is my offering thank you it's resonant it's deeply Mm, resonant mm -hmm. so i really welcome it Mm, thank you for asking wow yeah I'll ask you one more question and then I'll invite you to tell us where to find you so people okay. can know where they want sure. more, if they sure. want, when they want more Melinda. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other one is, it's just kind of a, a simple visioning exercise. It requires some light touch facilitation in which I, <laughs> with your permission, with your consent. Facilitate me, facilitate me, Jerome. <laughs> I just invite, I'd like to invite you to, to take a leap forward in your consciousness to 20 years from now. Mm. You don't need to tell me what you see, but I just like to see, you need to consider what you see. They are some of, much of what you set out to accomplish have been accomplished. Some of the ways in which you want to grow have you succeeded in. Some things haven't come through or true, of course. Some things you're still struggling with, of course. 
as you look at that person 20 years from now, and the question is, the invitation is to kind of come back to the moment, ask that person, and ask you, what advice do you have for yourself? And what advice do you have for us as the person that has that wisdom and that growth? Wow. Um, the advice to me from that person is to cultivate, just to cultivate, to cultivate the world, the, um, the family that you want, um, the relationships, the space, to cultivate it with intention so that it can be so. Um, and I think that might be also what is offered to everyone else. The power of intention, creation, and cultivation um, in, in community with your tribe, with your people, and to build something that has meaning for you um, and for your community. Beautiful. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you. thank you so much. Thank you so much. With you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. And how do people find you? Find me. Find me uh, at melindaweeks.com or weeksinadvance.com. That's my consulting and moderation and speaking work. And then also find us on beautifulventures.com. Uh, of course, IG, we're, you know, Beautiful Ventures and Melinda underscore Weeks on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. All of it. Find me. Let's continue to build. Ache, thank you so much. Many, many blessings to your friend. Thank you. And also to you, my dear brother. Love you. Love you back. All right. Bye for now. If you got this far into the podcast, it is because you get what we're doing. We're not trying to reach everybody. We just want to connect with you and with the other right bodies. Do you know someone who would enjoy listening to our podcast? Go ahead, take a moment and send them a note, an email or a text with a link to the episode. As you know, social media is a messy and crowded place, but a few of your hand-picked friends will appreciate what we're up to. If you let them know, we can build community together. I want to shout out Audio Chemists and Austin Jade for their good work producing our podcast. And you, please stay awake and stay blessed.